Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. Join us as we seek to see a generation captivated and transformed by the truth of Christianity. This is The Universe Next Door. Welcome to The Universe Next Door. Today we're tackling a tough topic. To, to a lot of T's, I shouldn't have started like that. We're, tac- we're tackling a tough topic, and that topic is uh, one you've probably heard fairly frequently. Do Christians indoctrinate their kids? And often that's taken a step further. Is that indoctrination abuse? You've probably heard it from atheists and agnostics or whoever it may be, um, that, that Christians who raise their kids in the faith, well, they're not, they're not teaching them how to think. They're indoctrinating them. And this is abuse. This is child abuse. Uh, I actually heard that claim just recently made several times. And so what we're going to be doing, uh, this isn't going to be the entire episode, but we are going to be responding to a video from a fairly popular YouTuber on seven ways that religion traumatizes people. And I've only heard, she lists seven, I guess. I've only heard like the first two. I wanted it to be a surprise. I wanted to be surprised with you guys. Uh, so I'm going to be reacting to those. I only I looked at the first two because I wanted to make sure this was a good candidate. And ding, 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 great candidate. We're going to be uh, we're gonna be responding to that. And there's going to be a couple other things we'll address too in regard to that um, outside of the video. But before we do that, just two quick things, technically two and a half quick things. Number one and one and a half, make sure you hit follow and notify wherever you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Podcast Addict, whatever. And that way you'll be notified of when new episodes come out. Uh, thank you so much to those of you who have been following the show for so long. And for those of you who are new, we are very excited to have you. This is going to be a fun day. You came on a good day. Uh, and number two, send your questions in to information at apologetics.org. Uh, if you're brand new, you can ask a question right now. Type an email, send it to information at apologetics.org. It can be in response to this video. It may be you're an atheist or an agnostic or uh, whatever it may be. You can send something you disagree with. Or if you're another Christian, there's probably things you disagree with me on. So if there's something that you that you disagree with me on, uh, send an, a question or a statement or an argument or whatever to information at apologetics.org because on the last Friday of this month, we are going to be doing our question and answer where I'm going to take your emails and messages and everything uh, and I'm going to read them out loud and respond to them. I won't say your name. I won't tell people who you are. So make sure you get your question in. And with that being said, uh, let's get into this video. Again, I'll link the, the YouTube video down in the description. Obviously, this is just audio because we're on a podcast. But uh, if you want to check out the rest of the video, there's more stuff said in between that I'm going to have to cut out for editing purposes. But but that's down there. So that's down there. And just last thing, this is going to be sort of my premise that we'll see uh, we'll, we'll see if it holds up. And my premise is number one, Christian parents who raise their children biblically do not take part in indoctrination, but do the opposite. Number two, Christian parents who teach their kids Christian views are not abusing children by doing so, but the opposite. And number three, any parent, teacher, or minister uh, who would indoctrinate or abuse students, or anyone for that matter, is doing so in violation of scripture. So we'll see if those hold up uh, with those with those three things in mind. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. So let's jump into the seven ways religion can be traumatizing. Time out. Wait, I did forget to say toward the beginning of the video, uh, she was saying that she grew up in the church. There were uh, friends that she has who has grown up in the church. They're wonderful people. So it's not entirely church bashing. And also, I just had a tooth ripped out like three days ago. So if I stop talking at any point just for the rest of the episode, uh, you know why. 
and evaluate how we can identify when a religious space or community is a healthy fit. Number seven, any system that requires conformity in beliefs in order to belong and doesn't make space for disagreements or questions can result in trauma. In many unhealthy religious communities, independent thinking isn't supported. Okay, so number one or number seven, I think that we're going backwards here. So number seven, um, I, I kind of agree with that. I agree that um, if a religious community is insisting that people do not provide any pushback, that they're not allowed to disagree with anything, that critical thinking is unwelcome, then yeah, that's very wrong. And it's unbiblical. And that sounds an awful lot like the LGBT community. If you dare disagree with us, you're bigoted, you're sexist, you're a homophobe. Uh, So I think that one could be turned around pretty nicely. Let's just look at the definition of indoctrination here. This is... um, I have this on the the dictionary app on Apple here. Indoctrination is to teach a person or group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. Okay, so it's to teach them to to, to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. Uh, If you look at the Cambridge definition, it is the process of repeating an idea or belief to someone until they accept it without criticism or question. So, If a religion of any sort is doing that, then obviously that's not a good thing. And I can think of a few that generally do uh, exactly that. For example, we have some good friends who who befriended a Scientologist couple, and they were having a discussion with them, and they sent them one of my videos of somebody I interviewed uh, because I had someone on who, uh, and I'll link this in the description if you want to check it out, but they were part of the Sea Org, which is sort of a higher up tier in Scientology. And this lady I had on the podcast actually is the one who enrolled John Travolta in Scientology back in the 80s or whenever it was. But um, anyway, they sent them this episode to listen to, and of course it's about why... Scientology is a disaster. And the people wouldn't listen to it. They say, yeah, we we don't really usually listen to things that are negative toward our views. Okay, why? Because they're indoctrinated. They're not supposed to listen to things that come against the views that they were taught. That's the very definition of indoctrination. Now, in the church, on the other hand, we don't do that. And I can show you, actually, just if we go to, to Acts 17, I'm not going to pull it up and read it. I'm just going to I'm just going to paraphrase here. But when you go to Acts 17 and you look at Paul um, going and preaching to the Bereans, the Bereans are called noble because they tested everything he said by the scriptures. Paul, he's not who's he's not a youth pastor. Okay, he's not some some guy who's new to the priesthood. He's not some guy who just got a job at a church or on a YouTube channel. This is the Apostle Paul with apostolic authority, inspiration from the Lord. And still, when he taught, they questioned everything that he said, and they verified it by the scriptures. They verified it independently before they would take about his word. This is an apostle. And what does Paul do? Does he, does he like lash out at them and say, who do you think? Do you have any idea who I am? No. They're called noble for doing this. That's what Luke writes in Acts 17, 11, that they are called noble for testing everything he says by the word of God. And we see this all over the New Testament. Uh, But another example is 2 Timothy 2.15, that we're to study to show ourselves approved. We're to independently study the word of God uh, to show ourselves as approved. We're not just to take somebody else's word for it. Um, So I would agree on one hand that if any church is doing that, that they would need to repent of it and stop doing it. Uh, but, But even if they were, they would be doing so, back to our premise, in violation of scripture, as we just saw. So if a Christian church is indoctrinating their members, if a Christian family is indoctrinating their kids, 
then they're doing so in violation of scripture. And so you can't judge a system by its abuse. Now, as far as uh, suggesting that you have to agree on some sort of uh, set of doctrine or beliefs, I would I would pretty much agree with that to a certain degree. I mean, there is a certain point where Christians would have to divide from one another, but I think that there's two sort of categories here. Number one would be church membership, however your church views that. When you become a member of anything, you have to agree to certain things. So, for example, if I were to come up with a list of church membership, it would have to be, okay, if you're committed to being a member at, the ch- at this church, I mean, you have to believe in Trinitarian theology. You have to believe in the gospel by faith alone. You have to believe in um, in the biblical definition of marriage and so on and so forth, because that's the standard God sets, and that's what he reveals to us. There are things worth dividing over. But... I think there needs to be a distinction between church membership and church goers. Anybody can walk into church regardless of their views, and anybody's encouraged to do that. We even see this concept in the Bible. Uh, when you go through the the book of 1 Corinthians or the letter to the first uh, letter of 1 Corinthians, which is actually 2 Corinthians, that's a story for another day. The apostle Paul gives his whole thing on speaking tongues, also another episode for another day. Uh, but he gives his whole thing on speaking tongues and he says, "Listen, there are people here from the outside of the church. There are outsiders here, okay? And we don't want them to think we're crazy. So the New Testament authors were aware of this sort of distinction that needs to be made. Um, But there's plenty that Christians can disagree on and should disagree on. And there's plenty that you guys probably hear hear me say uh, and disagree with me on, and and you're wrong, but that's okay. Uh, The point is unity does not always mean uniformity. I forget who said that. It was a theologian or an apologist or somebody. But unity does not always mean uniformity. There are, are things we have to agree on, and then there are differences. So I partially agree with that one. But overall, um, if, if Christians are indoctrinating anybody, they're doing so in violation of their faith. Number six, beware of any faith community that motivates with fear. If you don't repent, you go to hell. If you don't remain abstinent, you will never find a spouse. And if you don't keep up with your prayer, repentance, purity, or whatever, and the rapture happens, well, then you're left behind with all the other sinners. I was even told as a child that tithing was what God called us all to do. And if we didn't have enough to even pay our bills, we were still supposed to tithe 10% of our earnings. If we didn't, God's message wouldn't get out and other bad things would happen and we weren't supporting him. And even as a young child around 11 or 12, I felt pressure from my Sunday school teacher to give the church 10% of my allowance. So I gave it every few weeks, every time I got allowance, not because I wanted to, but because I thought that if I didn't, something bad was going to happen. And even as I think about this, I was also pressured to make a purity pledge in a youth group to keep myself quote unquote pure before marriage. And they even asked the entire group of guys who were all in our youth group, they asked all the boys if they wanted to marry a virgin. And they all, of course, raised their hands. And then the youth leader said something to the effect that we would never find a husband if we didn't remain pure. Like, look at all their hands raised. I can't even believe I hadn't thought of this, and I never realized just how sexist that was. And also, who said any of us wanted to get married, right? It was, ugh. Okay, so once again, um, I, I actually partially agree here. I know exactly what she's talking about. There's this like early 2000s to 2010 or so, like that that 10 to 15 year period of 
what I would refer to is almost like the cheesy Protestant version of Roman Catholicism, where it's like there was just this works-based system that you were supposed to be doing, and the works-based system was like, you can't watch a rated R movie. In fact, if you watch any movie other than the Left Behind series, you're going to hell. And I actually I have the Left Behind series right uh, nowhere. Or they do like the purity ring stuff, and it's like, if you don't remain pure, uh, you know, fill in the blank. And then they would do, if you guys ever heard of the thing they did with, with, where they're like, hey, if you put a t- piece of tape on your arm and rip it off, and then put it on your another person's arm and then rip it off, and then another person's arm and rip it off, it was supposed to represent like, this is like a teenage girl who, who ends up being sexually active with one person, another person, another person. And then by the time, you know, the, the less sticky that tape is, well, the less people are going to want you kind of thing. Um, these things were all real. And you can see how it probably started off. Also, people drink like milk out of a dirty sock. I, that doesn't really have anything to do with with this, but I just wanted to... Anytime I can tell anybody how much I hate that, I tell them. Uh, but anyway, these things, you can see how they kind of got there. You can see how these things came about because obviously God does want us to be pure. God does want us to refrain from sexual sin. Um, whether you're a kid or an adult, uh, God does want us to have a cheerful and giving heart. Um, but as you can see from assuming this lady's being honest, I don't know why she wouldn't be. Um, but just from what she said there, the way that she was taught about tithing, it didn't, um, it didn't resonate in a way where it's like, Oh, I get to give to the Lord. I get to give to the mission of the church. I get to be generous. Um, you know, freely I've been given to, so freely I should give it. It's quite the opposite. And I, and I do think this was a real in kind of still partly is a real phenomenon, uh, I, I don't think we're under the law any longer, uh, and so I don't think we're under the law of tithing, especially considering that there's no temple tax or no temple, uh, but I do think that a Christian is called to give, and whatever that amount is, it's what God put on your heart. Um, but I think we're supposed to do it cheerfully, and if we're being forced to do something, uh, or at least the, the way that we've received it and understood it, we think we're being forced to do something, then of course... You know, most people are not going to want to do that. They're going to misunderstand the whole purpose of it. So I do think what she's saying here is real. But again, I think that these teachings and these concepts are either in violation of Scripture or um, something that someone has greatly misunderstood about Scripture and then gone on and taught. You know, I I think to teach a teenage girl that because you've been sexually active, nobody's going to want to marry you, I think that is... um, I mean, I think that's appalling. I Obviously, we want to do everything we can to steer kids and teenagers away from that sort of sin, but there's a way to do it where we do it while we're on their side and on their team and showing them what could be greater uh, than that sin. The, it, it's not just about saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. The reason you don't do that is so that you can glorify God. And as far as any of these categories go, my general rule um, that I would tell both students and myself uh, as, as sort of a rule of thumb is whatever you're going to do, okay, be, when you take 1 Corinthians 9 into account and think, well, everything is lawful, but not everything is profitable. The question is, in regard to God, in regard to the glory of God, is what I'm going to do profitable? Okay, so if I go watch this movie, is it profitable for me? Is it, is it going to be something that glorifies God or is it going to be something that uh, ends up affecting me in a negative way spiritually? or emotionally or physically, whatever it may be. But does this thing glorify God? That's a question that we should ask ourselves. And it, it's, it seems to not only work uh, for me, but it also seems to be a, a helpful way to, 
to really think about what you're doing without putting it into a legalistic system, a legalistic format. But back to the beginning of the question to tie it in, um, it depends on, again, what you mean by fear. Like it is true that if you don't repent, you're going to hell. So even if it's uncomfortable, it's true, but it can be presented in a way that you have to keep in mind that when you turn from your sin, you're turning to the loving arms of Christ. You're not just turning from your sin like to a rock. Uh, You're turning to Christ. You're turning to God. That's the idea of repenting. You're leaving behind that sin to turn to Christ. Um, And when you fail and when you fall, he's going to be there to catch you. He's holding your salvation in his hand. He's going to carry you, um, your salvation to completion. And so, you know, that's the way that I think we should present it rather than just fear-based or more specifically, probably guilt-based. And as I always say, the difference between guilt and a conviction is that you can do something about a conviction. Okay, God will convict you. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, God is going to convict you and you know that. Uh, but the only person, the only one who could take your guilt was Christ. So guilting, guilting people doesn't do anything. Convicting people, though, is something we're called to do and that God guarantees us he's going to do. So th- those are two different things. Um, so if, if by fear you mean I want to guilt you into doing this and give you no good reason to repent other than being afraid, um, yeah, I don't think that's a good thing. But if what you mean is there's going to be hard truth, then we definitely need to be doing that in the church and we probably need to be doing more of it. Number five, if a religion trains us to not trust our body, thoughts, or any urge or need that we have because it may go against what the Lord or church thinks is right for us, that can lead to some serious trauma. And a huge example of this is how many churches still aren't accepting of our LGBTQ plus community, saying that their love is in some way a sin or it goes against what God wants. I mean, there are still places in our world that do conversion therapy. And here is one such example from a member of our community. She says, quote, I've realized over the last year or so that I'm bisexual. However, due to my family being Christians and most of my friends too, I've only recently left church and all my friends were from there. I haven't come out or told many people out of fear of being rejected and cut off from my friends and family. Okay, so in a situation um, like this one, there's, there's two things that stood out to me. First of all, the story... Um, that she told at the end of the at the end of the statement about the person who wanted to come out and has fears being rejected. Of course, you, you want to have compassion for somebody. Of course, you want um, you want to befriend somebody. But there's a difference between giving somebody false comfort and telling them the truth. So, a, a good friend who actually loves their friend wouldn't want to do something that's going to harm them long term or short term, but especially something that's going to harm them for for their whole life and it's going to cause them to drift further from God. Uh, That, of course, would be our our goal and mission in life is we want to see people know Christ. We want to see them grow in their relationship with Christ, not to do the opposite. Um, And and I noticed that when she she mentioned uh, what the Lord wants us to do, she said it like kind of sarcastic, like, you know, what the Lord wants us to do. It's like, well, what is your standard for sexuality? Where do you get that standard? You know, when we when we look at sexuality in general, our standard comes from God. And if you say, no, that's stupid, it doesn't come from God, where does it come from? What is your standard for sexuality? How do you determine what is right and wrong in the realm of sexuality? And beyond that, is it okay for anybody to act on any inclination they have? 
Now, of course, as a Christian, we would say that if, if you're calling yourself bisexual or gay or trans, you're giving into an inclination towards sin. Um, and of course, there is a difference between an inclination towards sin and actually giving into that sin. So is it always okay for somebody to give into any inclination? You know, what if it's a horrible inclination? What if it's an inclination to steal? What if you had a friend who has an inclination um, to do drugs or to to drink a, a large amount of alcohol um, because of maybe their family history? If you love that friend, are you going to stand by and allow that to happen just because they have that inclination and that inclination makes it feel like that's who they are? It wouldn't be loving to do that. And so it's not, in some ways, an inclination can push us from God, It's it's, but it's more of acting on it. It's more of actually sinning um, and acting on our sin that is going to cause us to have separation from communion with God. It's going to cause us to look at God differently. It's going to, to cause us to want to avoid pray, praying, want to avoid church, uh, we'll want to avoid scripture, we'll want to avoid God altogether, which not only breaks God's heart, but it's also terrible for us. Like you're cutting yourself off from the sustainer of life. And of course, he's always going to welcome you back. He's always going to have his arms open and no one is too far uh, for the love of God and for the power of God to reach. That much is made abundantly clear, not only in our own lives and experiences as Christians, but in scripture itself. So none of us can outrun God. Um, he is always willing to bring us to bring us home. He's always willing uh, to walk through any kind of suffering, any kind of temptation, any kind of difficulty with us. And he promises us that he that he will and that he would do that. But for most of us, or at least for, let's say, the people who listen, who are listening are Christian believers. Let's start with that. Um, probably this is pretty cut and dry for you. You would think, okay, a guy can't be a girl, a girl can't be a guy. You would say, okay, well, I think it's sinful for a man to marry a man or a, a woman to marry a woman or uh, any combination of that. Well, yeah, that, that seems pretty cut and dry, but the emotional side of it, the social side of it is often the part that's difficult to deal with. But the emotional or social side of it doesn't make it no longer true that what God says is sin is sin. Um, and it's not because he arbitrarily said it. It's because he is the standard of good. He himself is the good and good is revealed to us partly through his moral code. And so because of our cultural shift and, and all the changes going on, it's, it's uncomfortable for people to face, but it doesn't change what's actually true. Um, even though it's difficult to deal with, even though it's difficult to handle, especially when anybody outside the church is probably going to be telling people, especially younger people, the opposite uh, of what is true. And as we talked about, I think it was two weeks ago when Alicia Wood was on the podcast and we talked about um, things revolving around the transgender community, well, people are making changes to themselves, whether it's that or otherwise, that are going to harm them for their lives in a lot of cases. And it is the most unloving thing I can do in addition to not wanting somebody to be closer to the Lord um, is to allow them to do something, to stand by and allow them to do something that's going to harm them forever, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, uh, in all these areas. I just, I can hardly think of anything more unloving than to do that. Number four, any church or organization that prevents us from getting help, saying that we shouldn't need any outside support and that God will give us all the support we need is not a healthy space to be in. In fact, I went to school with a few Christian scientists who don't believe in modern medicine, and they wouldn't let their kids go to the doctor for anything. They believed that if they prayed enough about it, they would be healed. And you could easily call that child abuse. 
So just real quick, despite the name Christian scientist, these are not Christians who are scientists. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a really crazy cult. Uh, so I would agree that anyone who would not take their kid to the doctor um, or to the hospital or anything when they're sick, I think that is child abuse. Now let's look at the definition of abuse here. This is again on the dictionary app on the good old my good old computer. Um, to use something to bad effect or for a bad purpose to misuse. Second definition, this will be more helpful probably. Um, to treat a person or an animal with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly. Um, so I think it would be uh, to not take a child to the doctor when they're sick would be a, I think that would be depending on the case abusive, that would be very harmful to them. It would definitely be a bad purpose and misuse of, of your power and authority uh, and responsibility as a parent. And so I, I wanted to clarify something in this question that I noticed and that I wanted to, to sort of make a distinction between. I don't think it's either God will heal you or medicine will fix it, or, or either God will heal you or a doctor will fix it. I think that God works through different things. So God will work through doctors, he'll work through the medical community, he'll work through medication. When you get a headache and you take ibuprofen and it makes that headache hopefully go away, we should thank God that ibuprofen exists. It's like when you get hungry or thirsty and you, let's say you sit down to eat dinner after you haven't eaten for like five hours, uh, like and you pray before you eat. It's not like you pray that God will just insert food into your stomach or cause you to not need food. Okay, he is designed for you to need food and water. And so you pray and you thank him and you're grateful for the food that he has provided through to you through whatever means. Okay, usually, at least in my experience, there's not just like a whole feast that floats down from heaven and lands on my table and then god just inserts it into my body like god we thank god for the food that we're given but he uses all these different means in order to provide it to us now there's two reasons i'm making this distinction the first one is i think that that the woman who made this statement misunderstands this idea but second of all a lot of christians misunderstand this idea too I think there's a lot of Christians who, well, I'm not going to say a lot. I'm going to say they're usually reserved to certain pockets of Christianity, but who think that if you're not healed, you don't have enough faith to think, well, you don't need to go to a doctor. You don't need to do this. Just pray about it. I don't think it's either or. I don't think it's one or the other. I think that we, we pray about everything, but God doesn't say just pray and don't do anything about it. I think that he works through all of these different means. Um, So in the case of the Christian scientist, of course, that's just a crazy idea to think that medicine's evil. Um, and maybe we'll do a thing on Christian science at some point. We've done Scientology. Uh, we haven't really done Mormonism. Well, or did we? No, 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 no. We haven't really done Mormonism. Maybe we'll do Christian scientists because it's pretty nuts. But um, that's, again, in contradiction of the idea of scripture. And I think it would be abusive. I think it would be abusive to not aid your kids in whatever way you can when they're sick. Um, but again, that distinction is important that it's, it's not God or these other means. It's that God works through them and he has designed the world to work that way. It's also important to point out, and I think this was probably hinted at in this statement, um, that if somebody were, let's say, suffering with severe anxiety or depression or anything, just fill in the blank, a pastor or a, a minister is not equipped to handle everything. If somebody is, let's say somebody is, um, let's just go with 
just having terrible depression. Okay, somebody's really depressed. This is something that people in the Bible dealt with. This is something that some of the greatest um, figures in church history dealt with. Charles Spurgeon, for example. Um, Charles Spurgeon, they, they called it melancholy, mel, mel, mena, mela, something, melon, watermelon, melancholy. Uh, back in his day, but he suffered with depression. And in fact, he would get so anxious before he preached. Um, to, to His church is filled up with thousands of people. Okay, so he had all these people he had to preach to. He was in very high demand, but he would get so nervous before he preached that his doctor had prescri- prescribed that he should take cigars and smoke them on the way to church so that it would calm his nerves. And then what happened is people saw him uh, smoking cigars. People on the more sort of legalistic side saw him smoking cigars and they said, oh my goodness, Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars. What an awful man. And so that ended up making him even more anxious uh, as a result of it. But if somebody's struggling with anxiety or depression or anything of the like, they should go and see a counselor. I think what a good pastor or a good friend or a good minister would do is they would help in whatever way they can. What that often looks like is, yes, using the counsel God gives you, the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counselor lives in you. Um, Yes, it means befriending them, spend time with them, be there to listen to them, be there to be friends with them, um, and help in any way, shape, or form that you can. But you are not a psychologist unless you are a psychologist. But for those of you who aren't psychologists, you are not a psychologist. You're not qualified to to help them get to the bottom of what needs to be figured out and to fix it, or at least get it to the point where maybe if your anxiety is an eight out of 10, we want to get it down to a four out of 10. So it's manageable. You're not qualified to do that. You're qualified to walk through them with it as much as you can. You're qualified to support them. You're qualified to be their friend and to love them. But you're not qualified to handle that. God has qualified other people to handle it. And so keep that in mind if you're helping with a church or a youth group or an adult group or whatever. um, Think about what you are and aren't qualified to do. And if somebody does need help outside the church, then get them help outside the church. And rather than calling it outside the church, that sounds like it's like just something totally separate from God. It's not. God has ordained this means of doing things. And so um, I think it's faithful to him when we do that. Number three, religious trauma can take place when belonging is conditional on belief. When a community requires you to share beliefs or you lose your family and friends, it becomes really hard for it to be healthy. One of the amazing things about being involved in church is the community, or as many call it, our church family. That connection and support can be life-changing and so needed, especially now. But if we don't agree with everything they preach or have questions about something in the sermon, that beloved community can be immediately cut off. It's almost like they're controlling us by withholding love, that if we don't agree with everything— then we don't get to be around them anymore. Here's a story from another member of our community. They said, If I ever had questions about Christianity of any form, I got judged for asking and never felt like I could ask any questions. It was always believe exactly what the church does or leave. And I actually got in trouble with pastors once for questioning things as I've been trying to work out my identity. We should feel free to question, do our own research, ask the thoughts of others around us, and come to our own conclusions about things. Any group that doesn't allow for that and even threatens to push us out or cut us off from them if we don't just go along and agree can be indirectly damaging our mental health, not to mention it can be incredibly traumatic. Okay, so again, um, the 
statement that she read uh, from one of her listeners or whoever it may have been. I don't know if they're part of like the Mormon church or the Jehovah's witness or something along those lines. I've never heard of anybody actually like you hear that generic story all the time. The story of like, Oh, I had all these questions and, and everyone said, you're not allowed to ask them. And then I went to the atheist community and they just brought me in and they answered all my questions. And I've never seen that actually happen. I've heard it like a dozen times, but I've never seen it actually happen, but taking their word for it, let's say it did happen. Um, that would again be in violation of scripture. I should have saved that stuff we said earlier for this question. Maybe I should go cut it out and paste it here. I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, that, that again, that would be indoctrination. The idea of you have to believe this without questioning it, that would be indoctrination. Um, but that's not what the church is called to do. We already covered that. That's not what the Christian is called to do. I mean, we're supposed to be convincing people of the truth by using the truth, by using good arguments, by using solid arguments, um, not by telling people, if you don't believe this, then uh, you're done. Get away from me. And again, the Bible actually gives us a means of what it looks like to cut somebody off uh, from the church, from the church community. And A, when you do that, they, they'd have to be part of the church community to begin with. Okay, B, there's a whole process, which doesn't have a time limit, by the way, of if, if somebody's really deeply in sin, then there's a whole process in Matthew 18, and we see it played out in 1 Corinthians, where you go to the person, and then you bring someone they know to the person, and then you bring it to the church, and finally, if they refuse to recant, if they refuse to repent um, of the sin that they're in, then you would have to cut them off, but by cut them off, uh, I don't like that phrase, you would have to hand them over to the world in hopes that they would come back, in hopes uh, that they would want to return to the church and be restored. That's the whole point of doing that. It's not to cut them off and say, see you later. And you don't do this just because they disagree with something. Um, You do it because of matters pertaining to sin. Uh, Now, again, like we covered earlier, there are things that Christians should divide over. There can be a point where um, we're having a certain person in a church or especially in a position of authority of any sort can be dangerous. Uh, But for the most part, again, unity does not always mean uniformity. There's a lot of things that we can have differences on. There's a lot of things that we can disagree on. Um, And I think that's something that Christians need to realize more and more that like I always like to say, reconstruction rather than deconstruction. It it shouldn't be like every time you learn that one of your views was wrong, you just throw your whole faith away. Um, I, I always like to promote reconstruction over deconstruction, rethink your views, reform your views. Um, with what's biblical rather than what's just traditional or what you've always heard. And so, um, yeah, not everything is reason to divide, especially to kick somebody out of a church. I, I don't ever see this happen, but taking their word for it, that's my response to that. Number two, brainwashing and religious indoctrination aren't going to result in health. And I know I've touched on this throughout the video, but it's important that we all understand that telling someone there's only one way to think and to feel And if they don't agree or go along, we can threaten to withhold love or even use the belief system against them. For example, the church can tell us that our issues or any of the questions that we have just show how much of a hold the devil has on our lives. I've been in churches who did this. And then after saying that, like the devil has such a hold, then they would ask for more from the person who had asked the questions because in order for them to cleanse themselves of their sinful thoughts, they needed to volunteer at the church more or spend more time in prayer or whatever, you name it, any way to do more to earn it back. And the push to earn this love from God and the church, 
isn't healthy. And for many, obviously, it can be traumatizing. I told you, this was some kind of early 2000s work-based church system. I don't know where it's from, but this idea that you're supposed to be volunteering and doing things to earn back God's love or earn back God's salvation, that's just entirely unbiblical. So again, this is not, if a church is doing that, it's not in line with scripture. It's in opposition. It's at odds with scripture. It's the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. Um, And to take this statement a little bit further, uh, again, she didn't necessarily mention this, but there are many people, um, many in like the internet atheist community who even think that raising your children and teaching your children Christianity in general, to even raise them in the church and teach them uh, biblical truth or biblical views, as they would put it, that this is actually child abuse. I've heard this a number of times recently. You may have too. And and what I wanted to do is just pull up really quickly a few studies um, that actually show the complete opposite. And this is true, whether you're Christian or not. These are independent studies. This one is from Harvard, for example. Um, and, and let's just look at, well, let me show you the, the title of the article. Religious Upbringing Linked to Better Health and Well-Being During Early Adulthood. So that's the name of the article. If we scroll down a little bit, it says the results showed the people who attended religious services at least weekly in childhood and adolescence were approximately 18% more likely to report higher happiness as young adults, ages 23 through 30, than those who never attended services. They were also 29% more likely to volunteer in their communities and 33% less likely to use illicit drugs. Those who prayed or meditated at least daily while growing up were 16% more likely to report higher happiness as young adults, 30% less likely to have started having sex at a young age, and 40% less likely to have a sexually transmitted infection compared to those who never prayed or meditated. So what part of that uh, sounds like child abuse? (laughs) Sounds to me uh, like this independent study from Harvard suggests that Uh, those who were raised in the church actually have a happier young adulthood. So even if you're not Christian, even if you believe it's all not true, it's actually still, from, from a mental health standpoint, it's actually better to raise them in the church than not to raise them in the church. So that is the opposite of abuse. Now let's look at this one. This is from PubMed. Uh, It's titled, Religious Service Attendance in Subsequent Health and Well-Being Throughout Adulthood, Evidence from Three Prospective Cohorts. So here's the background of it. Uh, Religious service attendance has been linked with a lower risk of all-cause mortality, suicide, and depression. So let me read that one more time. Religious service attendance has been linked with a lower risk of all-cause mortality, suicide, and depression. By the way, just to pause real quick, if if you're wondering why Nick... I think you're a dirty liar. You said you were going to listen to this video when we're listening to it, but you have these articles ready. That's because I started planning the episode and later thought to put the video in uh, in, in respond to a video. At first, I was just going to do an episode on this general topic, and I thought, well, I should just find a video, a, a popular video. This was I typed in Christian indoctrination on YouTube, and this was like in the top three or four. Uh, so that's that. But let's look at the results. It says, uh, estimates combining data across cohorts suggest that compared with those who never attended religious services, individuals who attended services at least once per week had a lower risk of all-cause mortality by 26%. 
Um, and then it breaks it down. It says, so all-cause mortality is lessened by 26%, heavy drinking by 34%, and current smoking by 29% less. Service attendance was also inversely associated with a number of psychological distress outcomes, i.e. depression, anxiety, hopelessness, loneliness, and was positively associated with psychosocial well-being outcomes, but was generally not associated with subsequent disease such as hypertension, stroke, and heart disease. So, not only is it better to emotion from an emotional or psychological standpoint to raise your kids in Christianity, it is also better physically. They have a 26% lower all mortality rate. So not only is that not abuse, it is like it. you could actually argue it might be abusive not to raise your kids in Christianity, ladies and gentlemen. And finally, number one, religion isn't universally traumatizing or harmful. There are many instances in which it can offer the support, guidance, and care that we're looking for. And many churches and religions support independence and challenge the way things have quote-unquote always been. We just have to take our time, get to know the people at that church, and really listen to what's being preached and done within that religious community. And then decide if it's a good fit for us. And if it's not working out, or we're feeling pressured into beliefs or actions that we don't think are right, it's entirely okay to take some time and space from the church to reevaluate. And if we decide leaving is best, just know that it can be messy and difficult to tease out what parts are things that we want and what parts would we prefer to leave behind. Okay, so there's a few things here. Number one, um, I'd like to encourage anybody listening that there, if there's something you're struggling with, if there's something, maybe a question or something like that, or a topic you have unanswered, of course, send it into information at apologetics.org. I will read it and do my best to respond to it. Um, but if you are struggling with something or having a hard time with something, I don't think the best route is to leave the church until you figure it out. In fact, I think that's exactly the route you should not take. <laughs> I think you need accountability. I think you need a church family. No church is perfect. No church family is perfect. Um, If I pull up 10 of my favorite pastors and preachers and apologists right now, there's no single one that I agree with every single thing on. But we're commanded not to give up the habit of, of meeting together. I mean, that's what we're told in Hebrews. We're, we're told, do not stop meeting together. It is dangerous. There are so many things that can sneak into your life um, when you stop having church accountability. And what I mean that if I took those top 10 people and I would find things with each one I disagree with, I would probably agree with the majority of them on like 90% of things. Like the stuff I would disagree on are things that were so stupid that most people wouldn't even care to talk about them. I just like to talk about everything in the Bible. Um, but don't leave the church to quote unquote figure things out. Figure things out in the church. Talk to people around you. Ask them questions. I would assume you're in a church where questions are welcome. I've never been to one that they're not. And, and again, maybe they exist, but I, I really don't think that's the norm. Um, but if you're looking for a church and you don't have a church right now, find a church. Uh, find a church where where they have good, solid preaching. Um where, of course, there's maybe some kind of groups where you can have discussions with people, where you can build community with people. Go find a church. There's no reason that you can't. Wherever you live right now, I'm sure there's a church within a few minutes of you uh, and probably a decent one. So don't leave your church to do that. If you don't have one, find one, and that'll help you do that. But we need accountability. Um, and sometimes we can get this mindset, especially today, where it's like everything just revolves around us. 
Everything revolves around our anxiety. Everything revolves around our depression. Everything revolves around our difficulties. And those are all real things, but they're not real things that you should handle on your own. And they're not the only things that should consume you. They're not the, the, the only thing that you should identify with. Uh, we want to find our identity in Christ. And it, when you find your identity in Christ, it doesn't mean depression and anxiety and so on just drift away and they don't exist anymore. Like I said, some of the, the best preachers in history and theologians in history, uh, even guys in the Bible struggled with these things, but they don't define who you are and they certainly shouldn't keep you from church. They shouldn't keep you from being uh, in a church community, in a loving church community. And so that's what you need. You need accountability. You need other people around you and you need conviction. Okay, we all need to be understanding that God is conforming us to the image of Christ. He's shaping us into what he wants us to be. And there are times where there are seasons of pruning and it's going to be painful. Um, There are other times where we're really going to have to make a lot of changes, where we're really going to have to reevaluate and rethink things. But the worst thing you can do is do it on your own. So I hope that's encouraging to you. And I also hope that hope that this episode has been helpful to you. Um, again, if you have any questions, send them to the, uh, to the email before the end of the month, because we're going to do that Q and a on the last Friday. Um, but otherwise I'll link everything below that I use the articles and, um, in this video, and then I'll link the episode I mentioned on Scientology, but make sure you check that out. And before you go, uh, if you'd like to support the show, of course, there's a lot of ways you can do that. But one of the most efficient ways, probably the most efficient way is if you share this episode with a friend, text it to somebody, send it to somebody over social media, whatever it is, do it right now. It'll take you no less than no more than 20 seconds. Uh, maybe it'll take you less. It won't take you more than 20 seconds. That's the best way you can support the show and help us uh, to share this content is text it, send it on social media to a friend, do it right now. Uh, but otherwise, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for staying. Uh, and I'll see you back here next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern time on the universe next door.